But Norman came year after year, beginning in 1968, and he encouraged us. He was such an encourager to all of us. He just said, take your eyes off your flesh, off of what you look, and put your eyes on the spirit, the spirit truth that Christ really is living your life. And he taught me how to renew my mind. It says that in Romans 12, 2. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind to the truth of what is true about you, who really lives your life. When he wasn't here with us, he was only here about one time a year. And in the beginning days, when we would take him to the airport, our little group, bedraggled group, at the end of the week, we were flying high and we believed everything he told us. And as soon as we would stand at the gate and watch him disappear with his little briefcase and his little hat on down to the airport and the airplane would take off and it was like everything he told us left, vanished with him. So we would write, we would wait for his letters. Several times we even tried to call him. I mean, we tried to call, call him in England, anywhere he was. If we had something that was scaring us, we would try to get in touch with him so he could begin to explain it to us. Little by little, though, the reality of what he told us began to take us over as we began to affirm that this was really the truth about us. Christ is really here living my life. And you know what he always says was, what you take takes you. The more you say it, speak the truth, and that begins to take you over. During the time I was learning all of this, my husband Wade was trying his best not to hear it. And I, in turn, was trying to cram it down his throat. But you know, Norman always loved our men. He would come here and he would always just say how wonderful they were. He would say how giving they were and just build them up. And he would make us look past the appearance of how our husbands look and begin to believe the truth about them. One time when he was here, I particularly remember it, I was sitting with him talking, and my life just looked awful. Things were so devastating between my husband and I, it looked like divorce was the only option we had. And he sat there and was real quiet for a minute as I was telling him how awful it was, and he, then he just reached over and patted me on my knee, and he said, my dear, a little mist on the mountain. Just a little mist on the mountain. And I thought, it didn't look like a little mist on the mountain to me. But you see, I believed him. And you can either call it a little mist, or you can call it a dense fog. You can look at the appearance of how things look, or you can see through the way they look, to the hand of a loving God behind everything that happens in our lives. Romans 4.17 became my verse. And it was what, what am I doing that's causing that squeak? Romans 4.17 was the verse that Norman used to testify 
of the hope of trusting in God because it was the story of Abraham. And I took that verse, call the things that are not as though they are, or call into being what doesn't appear to exist. And I said that over and over to myself about a million times. First, I would say, this is what the situation looks like. It looks bad. It looks impossible. I don't know how it can ever work out. And then I would say the truth. But God is here. God is in this. He means it to be the very way it is. He means for this to be happening. And He loves you. All this comes from the loving hand of God. And He, God, is going to have His way in every situation. I thought... God is bigger than all of us. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than Wade. He's bigger than everyone and everything that happens. And God exercised my faith over a period of time until finally all of this became a fact for me. It became established in me. And in God's own time, the husband that was running as fast as he could, you know, if you're a fisherman, he was hooked on that line all, all along. And God just reeled him in in his own time. All of this was perfect pre- preparation for the crisis that was begin- coming in our life. Can you hand me my drink of water? Sorry, my mouth is dry. All of this was perfect, perfect preparation for what was ahead. The death of our beloved 17-year-old son, which happened 12 years ago, right before this meeting in July. And I immediately called out to God. And I said, will my faith hold me? Is this faith that you've established in me, will it hold me through this? And the verse that came right away into my mind that morning was the verse in Timothy. Even when we believe not, he abideth faithful, for he will not deny himself. And I realized it wasn't my faith. It was God's faith. So I didn't have to worry. And you know... Through all of that, I found out that the principle or the law of God is that life comes from death. Life has to come from death. And you know, to this day, 12 years down the road, we're still seeing things all the time that good things coming from bad And from what appeared to be a tragedy that day 12 years ago, God has shed so much light. Would we have it any other way? We wouldn't. And that's why on Scott's tombstone, if you went to the cemetery, we know he's not there, but on his tombstone is 2 Corinthians 4.18. The things that we see are temporary, but the things that we don't see are eternal. Spirit 
spirit is reality. Scott's spirit lives on. Norman Grubb's spirit lives on. And I just say, Buana Asafiui. That is Swahili for praise the Lord. <laughs> now, I would like to introduce to you my better half, Wade Warren, who is here today. And he hates to be weak, but his tears are tears of joy like mine are. And if all of you would take a look at your marriage, those of you who are married, God usually mates you up with your opposite person. And it took me a long time to realize this about my husband because I spent a long time trying to make him different. But now I appreciate his differences. We make a really good team. We sit together. And I thank God for him. Easier to build the Empire State Building. <laughs> uh, first about Norman. Uh, in the beginning, uh, the, the, I really wasn't upset about what he was saying. I couldn't understand him. <laughs> but through Harriet, uh, I learned, and uh, told him to put me on here. The little light at uh, 4 o'clock in the morning is what I remember about North. But I've got to tell you what's happening in my life right now. I became a horse owner when you may not think this has anything to do with this. But I named them all Ring of Faith. Faith's magic and vision of faith. Sold one of them. Yeah, the won a world championship class last week. The name was up on a big keyboard. I thought, what a funny way to get a manager. <laughs> And, and the, the, the horse story sort of goes on because the guy that trains my horses is my partner. And I call Red, Red, named Red Crabtree, I call Red a shield person who's always had his shield up. You just bounce off. You could never talk to him. Well, on Sunday nights in my dining room, which I finally found out why I built the dining room. <laughs> I knew it wasn't to eat in. And, and finally I told him last week, I said, 
Now I know why I built this dining room. It's full of people. Shield people. People that you would never dream. And this guy is eat up. He cannot get enough. He, I took him three of Norman's books. And I mean, he's on fire. And, you know, through three horses. <laughs> All of this has happened. I, I, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing. The other thing was the Bible class, which we call Wade's Bible class. The other fellow is a Lebanese fellow named Joe Caruso who's never sat still for 15 minutes in his life and sat for two hours last week hearing John teach about Joseph. And it's just, he, he, he's a little little weird. He, he, doesn't know, he doesn't know what to expect, but he knows he's going to miss something if he doesn't come. <laughs> and, and his wife almost died a couple of weeks ago, whom John took care of, with blood clot. And I think it really pointed them in our direction because John took care of them, and they certainly know where he comes from. He comes over to teach of Joseph in a T-shirt with colored, different colors on it. <laughs> and, and you know, to, you know, I've never been much of a reader because I was dyslexic. And some of you may not know what that means means, but it means you can't read. And uh, and finally, on, on Sunday nights, we went to Hebrews and started teaching about Abraham and Joseph, and I, I, I just love it because, you know, I've never been able to put it all together. But as, as I leave here today at about a quarter to twelve, I'm going to see uh, a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old Baptist. And uh, they're very dear friends of ours. I'm an old cabin in Sunday night type of class. But, you know, I'm glad to see the tenor of the cross back up. And uh, we missed you. And God bless you. I really want to share is Norman the teacher, the mentor, our father, and how privileged we were to see how the Spirit brought the message that he had through Norman, and how the Spirit started speaking to me when I first heard him. I mean, I knew nothing what he was talking about, but like Luli said, it just rang true. And I knew it was for me because it liberated me. But then, as I listened to him, and we started traveling everywhere to hear him. I mean, Pat Price and Lily and I went to Tiffin, Ohio. I thought if she's got to, if Lily is going to find out what he knows, I'm going to follow her. She's not going to find out anything else, but I'm not going to find out. So I've got to find out what it is too. So, and when we started hearing it, it did liberate us. But pretty soon, on into that, it started stirring in me. How, how could, you know, this teaching come through this man? And I, it's the desire started coming inside of me. Oh, I would love, love it if I would be able, if God would privilege me to be able to teach like Norman. And it would just started with a little desire. And then it got bigger and bigger. And I thought, but who am I? How can it... 
how can that ever happen through me? And so I thought, and how would I dare say I'm a teacher? I mean, how could I say that? And how could any of us say that? But Norman always encouraged us. He always told us, whatsoever you desire. And that just kept burning inside of me. And so I just took a leap of faith and I said, all right, I'm going to say it. And I probably stood up at the tent meeting for the first time and said it. And I thought, please don't anybody ask me what it means or how to do it or anything about it. But all I'm doing is just saying what's inside of me and what Norman taught me to say. And then soon after that, somebody asked me to come and teach. And I thought, oh, I can't believe this. How can they do this to me? And I thought, no. No, I know I'm, I can do it. I can do it. The Lord, the Spirit will do it through me. And I went, and I mean, I was so nervous. And this woman invited, there were so many people, they, they were outside the door in her house. And I was so nervous, and I had nothing. I thought, I don't know what in the world I'm going to say. But the Spirit gave me something. And in between, I went into the bathroom and vomited <laughs> and said, I want to kill myself. And went back out, you know. And just walked out on one limb after another. And he sawed them off and I fell. And Harriet encouraged me and she said, even if the Spirit makes a fool of you, you know, then we're God's fool. Because the point isn't really how we come across or how well we can articulate it or how well... The point is how the Spirit is going to put seeds in other people's hearts. So even in the weakest of our words, you see... The power really is in the receiving and how God is going to cause that to come inside of people. So then the Lord privileged me to travel with Norman and take several trips with him. And I tell you, I thought, I don't even know my way out of Louisville hardly, and I'm going to drive down to Texas and pick Norman up. And I thought, you know, the Spirit's just going to have to do this in me because I just had to do it. So... Got in my car, went down, picked him up at Dee's, I think, and started traveling with this great man. And you know, the Spirit started adding line upon line, precept upon precept, because, and like this piece would fall in, and that piece would fall in. But the wonderful thing is, there we would go to churches, and I'd travel with him. And he would put me right up in the front, oh, here's this wonderful teacher, and I'd go, oh my gosh. And then, and he'd put me out there, and there I would be in the church, and I'd open my Bible and not know what to do, and then start reading. I'd probably read more of Romans 6, 7, and 8 than I ever taught it. And then when it was finished, oh, he would just praise me. And I thought, I was more of an embarrassment to him than anything. But yet, what did he do? He called out of me, you know, which started as a little flicker, as a little desire. He called this out of me. And said, oh, how wonderful, darling. And then when the trip was over, you know, of course Norman never asked for money. You know, he never even talked about it. Well, if people would give him, would share some gifts with him, he insisted on giving me half of it because he said that I was a cold teacher. (laughs) So, through the years, God has refined me because I probably had when I started getting some stuff I probably was a little bit more on my ministry the emphasis on my 
that I was ministry. Because the real ministry comes from the Holy Spirit through us. And it has nothing to do with math at all. And so God has to cleanse the temple and do how he, how he can cleanse us and prepare us for what he's going to do through us. And I just thought of Norman loving it. Norman, our father, that reproduced himself and all of us. I mean, that's what a father wants. And how it doesn't make any difference if we can if we can teach the total message or part of it or none of it or just one scripture or not even anything. We are all a part of how Christ is going to now get this life out. Because what Norman gave us was a person. He didn't give us a doctor. He gave us a living person living in human beings and manifesting himself in human beings, wonderful humans. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, do we dare go over some of the few of the points that Norman brought out and remember together? Remember when he would come here or he would come to your houses, he would have like three days and he would do the first part and he would talk about one person in the universe and he would talk about the law of opposites the first day. And then the second day he would bring out the cross, the provision of the blood and the body. And then he, and then he would show, tell us about no independent self. And I, I just remember the, um, the time that, Nor- that the Spirit gave that revelation to Norman because we were sitting in Linda's family room. And it's the first time I'd ever heard it, that there was no independent me. And that freed me. And there was no humanity here that was wrong, that I had a right humanity. And, and I can just remember thinking, dear God, the church of God needs to know this. Because what have we done in the church of God? We've done nothing but condemn ourselves. We've been, done nothing but live under the law. And now the Spirit is privileging us to hear this message. And now, take it to the church of God in any way that God, God causes us to do it. Recently in the Bible class on um, Sunday night, we've been re- reading about Moses and Gideon. And it really struck me that their time of commission, when it came, they were so weak. They thought, how in the world, God, how in the world could he ever perform this through me? And really, when God came to Moses on the, at the burning bush, Moses could hardly believe that God was even speaking to him because he hadn't spoken in 40 years to him. And he came and spoke to him. And Moses threw his head down in his hands. He could hardly believe it. The same God of my fathers is now speaking to me. And I really am the deliverer. I'm the one. But he was so weak. You remember him saying, I don't have the words. I don't know how to do this. And the Spirit says, and, and God said to him, but it's I am that I am. I'm the I am, and you're I am, and I will cause it to be inside of you. And then Gideon was so weak. He was just this young man. He hardly knew what he was doing, just like us. This all reminds me of us. We don't know what we're doing. But yet, and Gideon had to have signs and wonders, I mean, for God to prove it to him, but God doesn't care. And Moses was so weak, he had to have a partner. God doesn't care, you know. Because when the Spirit is ready to do it through us, I mean, it's a mighty work through us, through these weak vessels. 
I was I was thinking today of a time when I was in Mobile with Norman, and it was the humidity was real heavy, and he had emphysema really bad that day, and he could hardly breathe, and he was going into a woman's house that was filled with women, and I thought he's never even going to get up to the steps to get in there to talk, and he was breathing so heavily, heavily, and he went in. And they put him on a chair real high up. And I thought, why are they doing that? And I couldn't get to him. There were too many women. And I was trying to get to the person that did that, and, you know, to make him more relaxed. But I couldn't. So there he was, and he didn't care. You know him. He always said Jesus was the Lamb of God and a lamb you can do anything with. Well, do we have an example of that? You could do anything with Norman. And he was satisfied. And so they put him on this chair, and, and he started talking about Moses in the burning bush and I thought to myself you are the living example of a common bush set on fire by God you are that the same way we are and I want you to know that emphysema left him and I mean great power came out of that man and ministered that day to those women and I thought this is the legacy that Norman Grubb has given us and you see Norman started the same way we are you know not knowing but you know what? The wonderful thing is, recently I've been looking into Proverbs and, and wi- what wisdom is and how we no longer have the wisdom of the world, but we've got the wisdom and riches right in it, inside of us. And wisdom is really the how-to of God. We get a how-to, but it, it, it never follows the same pattern. It always is different every time. And so, but God will show us because we know inside of us is the wisdom to know. So that's, and I love what Lewis brought me a year ago. And I don't want to take away because I know God's going to, you know, bring him mighty message through him as well. But Lewis brought to me a precious thing because he talked to, to me about the New Jerusalem and how we really are living stones, one connected in the other. And how there's not any higher, there's not any lower. We're all equal, you see, and fit together. And whether we have something verbally to say or just our very being really is the life of Christ going on. But you all have a part. And you have a message, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. And you're a part of that li- those living stones fit together. And so, and then... Let me go back to this one verse about Jesus Christ himself. Because this was a prophecy in Isaiah that really struck me several months ago. And we're familiar with this prophecy about Jesus. But just listen to the last thing that's said. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever, forever. So now that's, that's continuing on inside of us. But listen to this last verse, and I love this. For the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. So even Jesus Christ had to depend on the zeal of the Lord of hosts to perform this ministry 
And this is our same ministry that we are commissioned with as we go out in our place, wherever it is, and start right where you are and dare to believe and dare to trust your desire that God has put that in you. You, of all people, just like I thought, me, of all people, yes, you. And God is going to continue because Jewel brings this out. Everlasting life, We never, I never thought of it this way, means that it's life that just perpetuates itself on and on and on and on in us, generation after generation after generation. So Norman has reproduced himself in us. We are all little Normans. And now we're going to reproduce that same spirit in other people. It's going to be our privilege to call into being and to, and to make teachers out of other people just because we believe it's inside of them and we see it. You know what? The other day I was listening to, it, it was just a, a man that had a great business. And he was old. And they asked him, how do you know when you die that your business is going to go on? And it's got, they're going to do as well as you did, he said, because I've made sure they're better than me. And each generation expands. So let me tell you all something. Can we say we're better than Norman? Only in the sense that we're more numerous. And in that sense, that's better. Because it's expanding. There's more of us now, you see. And now we'll give to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And I believe this is the beginning, the true meaning of what it means to enter into a new age because the body of Christ is forming. I believe never before in history has it come the way it's coming now in body form. And I mean, there's a scripture, I, I can't remember how it, how, to, how it even says, maybe you can remember it, some of you all. The glory shall cover the earth. What, where does that scripture? Norman always quoted it. But his glory will cover the earth and it's going to start inside of us and we're privileged to be on the ground floor that uh, I'm going to give the ending prayer and it just dawned on me sitting in that chair there is no ending so I saw my beloved Wade up here with, with my heart if he can do it, I can do it. I saw beloved John up here. And I see all of you out there. I was privileged to travel with Norman all through Texas and uh, meet some delightful people. Some that couldn't stand what he had to say and some that just loved it marveled at this great man would sit and speak to one or two, three or four. It made no difference. There was never any huge coliseums of people. It was just small groups. And it never made any difference. He gave, he gave all to every, every time. And I heard it over and over again. And it was new every time. New every time. The same thing. And I marveled at that. I'm just a common, everyday, working man. I'm not a scholar. I'm not. A, a, I'm like Wade. I'm not a reader. I'm a listener. And I have a true heart for Jesus Christ. And that's all I could give him because that's all I had. 
and He's giving it back. Because that's all He wants is a true heart. And through Norman, He showed me what true faith really means. And Sylvia wrote on the board the other day, faith is not in time. You're in time and we live in time and we do everything in our being in time. But faith is not in time. And my Lord Jesus Christ has shown me what faith truly is. In Tom Pruitt, my faith six years ago that they would be back with us. Never truly leaving us. I would not believe that they have ever split away from us or left us. That they'd be physically back with us. The Lord's given that to me this weekend. The faith of those that I've believed for. Knowing that it's Jesus Christ in me asking for these people. Asking for their salvation. Not me. Because I know I don't have the, the inner knowledge to know how to ask for someone's salvation. People touching Sylvia and I's heart. Coming into our life, we know. We know it's Jesus Christ calling out for these people. So there's not an end. There's this great continuation of this life that we were so blessed. I marvel that I could have been blessed to be able to listen to this man. And how Jesus Christ would have died on that cross for all humanity, but he would have died on that cross just for me, if I would have been the only one. And so, right now, I'm going to give you a prayer. The Lord gives it to me. I know he will. But what I want from you is each and every one to just meditate in what Norman has done in your life and how he's touched your life. As I give this prayer of continuation of his life through our lives now, going out to all areas of... of, You can see all the areas that are represented here, Texas and and, uh, all over... England and everywhere. So as we bow our heads, thank the Lord Jesus Christ for what He's done in our lives and continuing to do in our lives and looking forward to what He has for us next. Thanking Him for, for Norman Grubb being able to bring us to this point of knowing who we are, who's running this life, Who's doing the work? You see, I always knew I wasn't capable of doing the work. But I know He is. And I know He's in here. So let's continue on. Lord Jesus Christ, thank You, Lord. Thank You for being here with us in all these forms, in all the walks of life that You have for us. Thank you, Lord, for the ones that you put on our hearts. That you cry out for to come to you. 
that we are privileged to be the one to ask for that person, to ask for them to come to you. We are privileged. You are lifted up because you are privileged to ask for that soul to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the instrument that he has chosen to use to bring that soul to him and make a new life. Replace the old. Become new and lift it up. In the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just thank you. Praise his name. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, thank you for Norman. Thank you for all he's done for us. Because we know that everything he did was in your name. You poured out your life through Norman for us. Very privileged, are we? And we know that. I've been to these meetings a long time, just listening a little bit. The Lord was always there. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that I'm privileged to stand here today. Amen. Before I met Norman, I had the experience of a lifetime. At my niece's wedding in June of 1968, By an inner knowing on my part, God called me back to himself, and I knew I had experienced a spiritual birth. Norman called it a crisis experience. Leaving this wedding, I wondered, well, what do I do now? Whom do I go? Whom do I tell? What do I do? The most plausible thing to do, of course, was to share my experience with my husband and then with my minister as soon as I returned home, which I did. When I told my husband, Ed, being a physician, he thought this was just a time in my life and I would soon pass through it. And as for my minister, when I told him that I had been born again spiritually, he looked at me as though I had two heads. So in that year of 1968, I was virtually alone. This was 26 years ago in my spiritual world. I was a new babe of God. I was hungry and seeking for help. God, in his omniscience, did not desert me. I was invited to a Faith at Work conference for a weekend retreat at Callaway Gardens. Listed on the program was a workshop entitled, A Lesson in Living. That's for me, I thought, for I certainly need to know how to live. It was to be held at 7.30 a.m., and being a morning person, that suited me fine. Rather dubiously, I sat on the back row of the conference room, for I didn't want to get involved in what might be an offbeat experience. If need be, I thought, I can escape out the back door. Sitting in an armchair in the front of the room was the teacher, an elderly English gentleman, in his early 70s. And this blessed saint, of course, was named Norman Grubb. He looked like Santa Claus. He twinkled like Santa Claus. So let's open this session 
that I heard at Callaway Garden with a prayer. Let's bow our heads. Marvelous, Lord, that you have, as it were, penetrated this, this world by grace. And in Jesus made yourself part of us. And so, and we of you. And so you're already here in your living presence. So we haven't got to ask you, it's you rather invited us to recognize you. And we do. Thank you for yourself, for your grace, for your presence your word and somehow you had these wonderful words which you speak to mind and heart and recognize it as your voice so we know it will be so all through this day as it was last night so we thank you in Jesus name Amen how that beautiful at the end of this workshop I didn't want to talk to anyone I didn't want to see anyone I went back to my room without breakfast. I sat on the little balcony at Callaway Gardens. I looked at the lake and I wondered, what had this man really said? I went up to him at the conclusion of the workshop and I said, I need to know more. He said, get my book, God Unlimited. So I took home my book, God Unlimited. I couldn't understand a word of it. I thought, what must I do? So I got his tape. You've just heard the first of the tape. I got his tape and I ran it back and forth and back and forth until I finally had everything he said written on a piece of paper. I have to write things down. I can't remember them. So I said to my husband, I said, here's a book. Put it on the bookshelf. I cannot understand it. It's entitled God and I'm to just put it away. Now God has a way of working. This challenged Ed's male ego. Norman would have said, it's not ego, it's ego. (laughs) Ed read the book and said, I must meet the author. Well, I thought, Norman's gone now, I don't know where. In a week or two, they had a lay renewal at a Methodist church. I was asked to go because some of my friends from West Point, Georgia, were attending. There was a man who led a workshop. His name was Bob Locke. He said, I'm going around the room and I'm going to ask everybody who they are and don't use your name. Well, that was sort of hard. When he got to me, I said, well, I am God in Lillian Bosworth form. (laughs) You can imagine what this did to the gentry. Uh, So afterwards, Bob Locke came up to me and said, you know Norman Grubb? I said, yes, I do. He says, Norman is coming next weekend to my home to lead a weekend conference. You come. I can't go with anywhere without my husband. Bring him with you. Uh, so I went home and I told Ed, I said, we're invited to a home in Birmingham for the weekend. He said, who are they? I said, Bob and Evelyn Locke. Where do you meet them? Just a minute ago. You don't do that. You just don't go to the home of someone you don't know and spend the weekend. I told Bob the next morning, I said, we can't go. Ed is just not convinced. That afternoon, Bob Locke, a very distinguished-looking young man, where a lawyer, came out and made a personal invitation to Ed. Ed saw that Bob Locke was sound, so he accepted. 
We went to their home for the weekend. Ed went on a Thursday because he had Thursday afternoon off. Norman came in on a Thursday. Everybody else was coming on Sunday. Oh, Friday, excuse me. All the big Methodist leaders were to come from Atlanta. It snowed Friday night. No flight out of Atlanta. No roads open to Birmingham. Ed had Norman all to himself. I left the room with an assumed headache. I wanted them to have some time alone. And you know somebody's already said it today. Norman affirms you. I guess I had never affirmed Ed enough because Ed needed somebody to tell him he was a great guy and that he had a potential within him. And in fact, he says, come with me. I need you to speak with me at Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, I thought Norman would need me to sing. He didn't. He needed Ed. So Ed went with him. So I was left alone. And on the way coming home, I can remember the exact spot, Ed said, I think you'd like to know that last night I made a commitment of my life, the rest of it, to the living Lord with Norman. I had nothing to do with it, you say. I wanted to be there to run it on. But I had nothing to do with it. And uh, so uh, he said in his witness years later, because he and I started going on the campaign trail together, I wouldn't go without him. I think the man is the head of the house, whether you do or not. So... Uh, Ed and I went on the campaign trail together. We followed Norman. We followed him down to Bermuda, didn't we? The Howards know about it. We met them there. Again, I went to see Bruce Larson. Bruce Larson was going to be there. Oh, Bruce, I've read all of your books. I want to talk to you. I know you'll be impressed with me. He came up and looked.